Welcome to McGonigal's Chronicles Making Montana Connections. I'm KRTV KXLH anchor Tim McGonigal. At 97, Arlene Reichert may have slowed down a bit, but she shows no signs of stopping anytime soon. In Great Falls, she's affectionately known as the Bridge Lady for her efforts to help save and preserve the historic 10th Street Bridge. But her community involvement stretches well beyond the Electric City. She's one of the remaining delegates from the 1972 Montana Constitutional Convention, which marks its 50th year in 2022. She served as a legislative reporter for the Montana Television Network. And she worked her way up to assistant director at McLaughlin Research Institute in Great Falls and, to this day, remains on the MRI Board of Directors. Recently, I had the honor and privilege of sitting down with her to discuss these amazing accomplishments, as well as get her thoughts on the world's current state of affairs and her secret to longevity. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Arlene Reichert. We're very pleased to be talking to Arlene Reichert. Arlene, uh, most people in Great Falls know you as the Bridge Lady, and uh, you, you have no problem with that. Uh, t- tell me why they call yeah. you the Bridge Lady. Well, because <laughs> when the bridge was going to be blown up, uh, I, I read an article in the paper. It was the front page article, and all it said was a big article. New bridge is going to be built for cars, and whole big article, one sentence said, and the old bridge is going to be blown up. <laughs> I said, why? Yeah. Because I had had some background in politics. I had been a legislator and a Constitution Convention delegate. But I knew that Congress had said in the case of really wonderful old structures, the same money that could be used to, for demolition can be used for restoration. Yeah. And I said, why not fix up that beautiful arch bridge? It wasn't so beautiful then. It was kind of falling apart. <laughs> Highway department had neglected it. The sides were all crumbling. It was kind of a mess. But I said, why not use that same money and fix it up? And when I asked that question, I wrote it in the form of a letter to the editor, the power of the pen. And the Tribune had editorial writers that kind of picked up on that. So that's how it started. Before I knew it, there was a whole army behind me. They say, why destroy it? It's architecturally designed. Most bridges are just plain, you know. This one was built, oh, labor intensive. I got pictures of the original construction. Why just throw that away? And I'm so glad that even today people are thinking about it. On your program last night, you talked about Marysville. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, oh, why did they try to save those structures years ago? Because now they're crumbling, but now they're trying, but it's going to cost a lot more. Yeah. But that, that's how it started, by seeing that one sentence, the bridge is going to be blown up, and I asked why. Yeah, we'll talk a little bit more about the bridge in a, in a minute, but I want to go back. Uh, you're, you're kind of synonymous with Great Falls, yeah. uh, but you weren't born in Great Falls. You were born in Buffalo, New York, right? Buffalo, New York. <laughs> and it was really one day in my life changed my whole career, my whole life. Really, it was Christmas Day in 42. I was only 16 at the time. I graduated from high school very young. Those, those days, they skipped people. I was out of high school and working. And Christmas Day of 42, there was a USO party going on mm-hmm. at one of our hotels. And it was an honor of Eddie Rickenbacker, someone you've never heard of. He was a War Wars two pilot, hero. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and he started Eastern Airlines. But anyhow, <laughs> they were having a big party there, and all the servicemen and women, in there weren't very many women then, but all <laughs> the service people were invited, and anybody was invited. 
Well, it so happened that my mother and her friends were having dinner at the Lafayette Hotel. That's where it was going on. Okay. And I was not very happy that day because I had been dating a Navy man <laughs> and he had gone home for Christmas. This was Christmas Day and he wanted me to meet his folks. And my mother said, oh no, you're far too young. Forget about it. And I wasn't happy. But I went to dinner with them. Didn't know about this USO party. We were going to go to movies afterwards. And that day changed my life because after dinner, sitting in the lobby there, hundreds of these young people from all over the country, and I spotted someone across the way, mm. and he smiled at me, and I said, what will I do, Mother? She says, you won't do anything. <laughs> and so I just sat there, and then and I looked up again, he was gone. I said, okay, Mother, let's go to the movies. She says, look at all these young men, they're going to have a dance, stay for it. I said, no. By that time, he was so shy, he didn't want to walk the shortest distance between two points. He went all the way <laughs> to the entrance and he came and he asked me to dance. All right. Here he's this Montana farm boy. Yeah. And he had quite a religious upbringing, no dancing. Okay. He was probably the worst dancer I ever danced with. <laughs> but I just thought he was wonderful. And so my mother was charmed by him too. And she invited him over for cookies afterwards because my kid brother and my cousins were at my house and they'd be thrilled to meet a serviceman. He was stationed in Niagara Falls, okay. which is 27 miles from Buffalo. And that's why he was there. Yeah. And so he had his uniform on and he came. And my kid brother and my cousins were so enamored and my mother really liked him. And he invited me to dinner after that, and romance developed, and I never told him how old I was. He was 22 at the time, okay. six years older. But the point was, that day changed my life, because yeah. ultimately, three years later, I married him in Great Falls, Montana. He was stationed overseas, but when he came here, he was sent to Gore Hill. Not okay. Malmstrom, that wasn't Malmstrom right. then. And um, I came out, and I fell in love with Montana. And my mother was with me. She fell in love with Montana. So when he was discharged, we stayed here. And that's the story of how we got to Grayfield. His folks lived in Montana. His folks had a farm in Laurel, Montana. Okay. So maybe the moral of this story is don't judge a serviceman by his dance moves. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because obviously uh, blossomed into something yeah. greater than and that. Yes, he became a... When, when he died in 1968, he was a captain of the fire department. Yeah. He loved being a, on the fire department. He was a good fireman. Yeah. You guys went on to have how many children? Five. Five. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, I know you're very proud of your, your kids. and. The, well, they were wonderful. Yeah. I was kind of worried because when he died, my youngest was eight. Okay. And uh, then I had others, and they all were very helpful to me. They were very supportive. I, I didn't have problems with my children. Yeah. Your life has been uh, such a, and, and you're 97, almost 97 almost years old 97. As, of this, mm -hmm. as of this taping. I think it's wonderful, you know, <laughs> to be able to look back on your life and I feel blessed. Yeah. I don't like the condition the world's in. I don't like the condition the country's in. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've been through some hard times, the yeah. vicissitudes of life. I'm, I've been through so much. When you think back that many years, the Depression and mm -hmm. the Dust Bowl, and of course the World War, yeah. and 
so many problems, and then Vietnam, and one thing after another, but I don't know if it's because of my age, but I just think we're confronted now with so many problems at the same time. But I'm hoping that American resiliency will win out and that people will stop arguing about politics because people should be care about each other. The heck with your political views. Work together. That's why I feel. You know, I have had friends from all walks of life, and I've never let politics stand in the way of friendship. Yeah. Now, Arlene, uh, you were involved a big part of one of uh, Montana's biggest moments, and that was the... uh, 1972 Constitutional Convention. Yes. That was 50 years ago. I and know, it's, it's and we real... just had our 50th yeah. celebration, and <laughs> I'm not so happy to be there, just to be there. Mm-hmm. I'm the oldest living delegate. Yeah. One of my dear colleagues died just a few months before. <clears throat> that was Wade DeHood. He was head of the Bill of Rights Committee, okay. and it made me sad. And being there, I had mixed emotions because I could close my eyes and see my 99 fellow delegates mm-hmm. sitting there. It just seemed like yesterday in 1972. And they became friends. Yeah. No matter what their party politics were or their background, we became a very closely knit group. We threw politics to the side, and that's how we wrote the Constitution. Yeah. But the point was that when we got together recently, of the 100 delegates, there are only 10 still alive. Oh, my. Okay. And I'm the oldest, and the youngest one was May Nan Ellingson. She was my seatmate because we sat alphabetically. Okay. <laughs> that was the secret to writing that Constitution. Okay. We didn't sit with Republicans on one side and Democrats on the other in that confrontational side. We said early on, the heck with politics. Mm-hmm. We're going to sit alphabetically. So May Nan was my seatmate. People, people today could probably learn a lot from that Constitutional Convention. Uh, uh, but uh, and it was a a, a varied makeup of uh, delegates too. It, it, it was again, you said it wasn't politicians. It was no people from all walks of life, right? And they, it was forced on us. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting because in 1970 uh, there was a legislative race. And I was interested in politics because my mother instilled it on me years ago. I ran for the legislature. Okay. At that time, we didn't have single-member districts. We put the single-member districts into the Constitution. Before that, it was at large. And so in Cascade County, 12 people were to be elected, and I came in 13th. Oh. I was a loser. <laughs> and my middle son said, Mother, you always said losing Bill's character, so don't complain. Just uh, and I, but it hurts. It deflates your ego. I don't mm-hmm. know for people who are watching who've run for anything. <laughs> when you lose, it's not pleasant. Right. And I was not happy, but it was a blessing in disguise because the Supreme Court, the Montana Supreme Court, ruled that if you wanted to serve as a delegate to the Constitution Convention. You could not be a legislator. You could not be an elected official of any kind. And so everybody who ran, you know, it was wonderful. None of us were elected officials. Some that had experience years before. But the truth of the matter is there were farmers and ranchers and teachers and housewives and people from all walks of life. Mm -hmm. And so those hundred delegates, I don't think we could have written that constitution if the Supreme Court had not ruled that. Yeah. Because if the legislators, they were unhappy. Because they said, we're the logical people to write that constitution. We've got governmental experience. 
it never would have been done. Yeah. It never would have happened. So the, the, the original Constitution was 1889? And 1889. So why was there a need for a, a revised Constitution? I realized that early on because when, even though I had a big family, I was very interested in the League of Women Voters and groups like that. And I didn't work outside the home for 23 years. My husband uh, you know, said, it's okay, you can be a stay at home, but you know, join your groups. Well, League of Women Voters was one of my favorite groups. I was on the library board and others, but League of Women Voters, we used to go to Helena to see what was going on. And we were appalled. We tried to find out what was going on, but everything was secretive. Okay. You'd get to a meeting, There'd be a legislative meeting, and you could be allowed in, and you could hear them talk. And then when it came time to vote, they'd say, clear the room, executive committee meeting, and even the press had to get out. Nobody knew what on behind those closed doors. It was secretive. Mm -hmm. And as a result, people didn't know what was happening, and it wasn't good because different strong interests got away with so much. Mm -hmm. It really... Actually, the state was run by the, uh, it was called the Copper Collar, you know. Mm -hmm. um, well, Anaconda, they really ruled the state. and They ruled everything. So we said, we need to open up the system. And mm -hmm. so the League of Voters was among the groups that really pushed for a new constitution. But there were many other people, too, who said, this old constitution, it's not working. We're going by 1889 rules, and we have to just change everything. And some people say, well, just change a few things. No, we're going to have a constitution convention, and we're going to rewrite it. They say, you'll never get it done. Mm -hmm. They gave us 60 days. The state gave us money for 60 days. Mm -hmm. We got it done in 54 days. Wow. We actually gave money back to the state. <laughs> That's unheard of. Yeah. We finished. Yeah. But the reason we could do it is because we had people from all walks of life, and we forgot about political parties, and we dealt with issues. Every issue stood on its own. Sure, we didn't agree on a lot of things, mm -hmm. but we got it done. Yeah, it seems like that's, uh, uh, you hear a lot of people say, if, if we could just sit down and talk and bring people together, and maybe they would put aside those political differences and realize that maybe you have more in common than, than you might think. We're trying to do that. Mm -hmm. We had a wonderful Chief Justice of the Supreme Court a few years ago. Her name was Carla Gray. Sure. And uh, she really advocated for alphabetical seating. She said they did it during the Constitution Convention. She says, why don't? They try seating themselves alphabetically. The legislature won't do it to themselves. The interesting thing is they don't have to pass a law. They don't have to do anything. They just change the rule. When they get together for their orientation, they could do as we did. Well, the rules changed. We're not going to sit with political parties. We're going to just sit alphabetically. But we wish it would happen, and some people are urging it. Mm -hmm. I said, boy, even if, if Congress did that, maybe we'd get something done. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. I think I read, too, that uh, was Jeanette Rankin a guest at the Jeanette Rankin Convention? was one of our guests. What yeah. a thrill that was for people like me. Yeah. Because even as a little girl in Buffalo, New York, I knew that Jeanette Rankin was the first woman in Congress. And so when we had guests invited to be speakers at some of our sessions, she was among the first ones selected. Mm -hmm. And when she was 92 years old then, and mm -hmm. I can remember, 
Uh, we had a wonderful chairman of our convention. That's another thing that helped us. It was Leo Graybill. He okay. was very, very fair. He's, he was from Great Falls. Yeah. And I remember he told the delegates, because some of the guys were grumbling. He said, who wants to hear a 92-year-old woman? <laughs> and so Leo said, I want you all to be here. And that evening, everyone was there. And she was eloquent. She was 92, but she could still talk. <laughs> but she gave a talk, and afterwards there were questions. And as you remember, in 1972, Vietnam was still raging. Right. And she had been against wars. Mm -hmm. So someone asked the question, if you were in Congress now, what would you do about the Vietnam War? And I'll never forget what she said. She said, I would send those same ships and planes that took those young people over there and bring them back immediately. Mm -hmm. And it was so striking because if we had done that then, we'd have saved thousands of lives. This was 72. And it didn't, wasn't over for quite a while. Yeah. A lot of thousands of lives. Yeah. But she was wise. And she also talked, somebody asked a question about the Electoral College, which is in the news now. Mm -hmm. She hated the Electoral College. Oh. And actually, she had devised a system for direct primaries, where the top five people would be in the final election. And I actually had a copy of that, because she, she was very nice when she came. She said, I, this is so unusual, I want the 19 women delegates to have dinner with me. Well, some of the guys says, that's not fair. We're talking about equality. But she says, I just want to meet with the 19 women. So we all had dinner with her, and it was very personal and up close, and it was, it was delightful. So that was one of the highlights. We had other interesting guests, too, mm -hmm. but she was number one. Number one, yeah. Uh, Arlene, was it about this time that you uh, were serving uh, or were working in the uh, broadcasting as well? Well, the broadcasting really helped lead me to everything else because <laughs> that was before I was in the Constitution Convention. Okay. I had been in the League of Women Voters, and I had lost that election in 1970, and I said, I'm really concerned about the hearing system because people in this state don't know. And uh, so I devised a script, and KRTV helped me. <laughs> uh, Bill Wiston said, well, we'll give it a go. Mm -hmm. And... They had to just take my broadcast, make tapes, and then take it by bus right. to the different areas because it was Montana Television Network, but there was no network as there is now. There sure. wasn't. So they make tapes and take it by bus to Butte and Billings and other places. And so it got statewide coverage, but it was cumbersome. But that's what happened in, because when I ran in, uh, before in, for, at Nobody knew me, mm. and by the time I ran again for the Constitution Convention, there were 56 people running from Cascade County, and I came in second okay. out of 56. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> so, because my name was known, yeah. and it was because of my work with the television network. What a difference a, a, some time <laughs> on TV makes, right? <laughs> uh, another thing I know that uh, is... Uh, a, a very interesting part of your background is you worked at McLaughlin Research Center, which oh, uh, I believe my... they, they just celebrated 70 years. Yes, uh, or they've been I'm, here still for 70 years? On, I'm still on the, an honorary member of the yeah. board. I don't have a vote, but I'm an honorary. And I, I'm so pleased with what's happening with McLaughlin now. Mm -hmm. And it got good coverage recently because mm -hmm. 
doors are opening again. For a while there, it was sad. Dr. Eichwald started mm -hmm. McLaughlin. And actually, when I went to work, I worked for Dr. Eichwald and Dr. Stimfling. They were co-directors. Okay. That was in, 19, right after, well, it was before my husband died. He uh, became ill, and he was given a, a terminal diagnosis in 67. Okay. And at that point, my husband and I said, You're, I'd have to go to work with five children. And as a fireman, a captain of the fire department, I would be entitled to half of what he was earning at the time. It's hard to believe, but in 1967, as a captain of the fire department, he was earning 6000 a year. Wow. So I was going to get $3,000 a year to live on hmm. as a pension. Yeah. And we both realized they have to work. And there's kind of an interesting story connected to that because we started looking at classified ads and I had background in service groups, the League of Voters among many others. And there was an ad for a person, the Chamber of Commerce, as a liaison person between Malmstrom and Great Falls. Okay. And I had connections with both. After all, my husband was stationed in the military. So I thought, my husband said, that's a perfect job for you. It's created for you, Arlene. So we really worked on an application. And I'll never forget the day I took my application to the chamber. And one of my friends was secretary. And I brought my application. And she said, Arlene, we can't even look at it. I said, what? This was 1967. And it was just before the Equal Opportunity Act. She says, this job is for a man. She says, don't you think if a woman could apply that I'd do it? She says, I'm running this place anyhow. She could have done it. Wow. No, no women. So yeah. I went home crying. I remember. Yeah. That, was, that was hard. Yeah. But at that time, my daughter, Cheryl, was a Cancer Society student at McLaughlin. She says, mother, they need someone. You've had nurses training. I did have nurses training before mm -hmm. I was married. And so... She says, why don't you apply? And I got the job. It was the best thing that ever happened. I was with them <laughs> 23 years and wound up as assistant director. Okay. And I love being at McLaughlin Research. And I still, it's one of the things that's dearest to my heart right now. Yeah. McLaughlin Research meant a lot. Yeah, they do some, some groundbreaking research there. And uh, I interviewed mm -hmm. the, uh, Cutting the current edge director research. Cutting Edge. And uh, they, the fact that they've... They've been around, they've outlasted many other research centers. Right. So, and, and Dr. Irv Wiseman, who's a product of McLaughlin, who started even before I was involved, he's the one doing stem cells. I mean, he's the one who started the stem cell research. Mm -hmm. There's so much cutting edge research. In fact, I worked for Dr. Stimfling when Dr. Eichwald moved away. And Dr. Stimfling's colleague in Bar Harbor, Maine, won the Nobel Prize. Wow. And his work, a lot of it, depended on what Dr. Stimfling had done. So we went, we didn't go to, uh, to Sweden, but we went to Bar Harbor for the celebration of his winning the Nobel Prize. So Great Falls is really famous for McLaughlin Research. And now they have a new director. She's doing wonderful things, mm -hmm. Dr. Renee. Yeah. So the future looks bright. But at one point, when Dr. Stimfley was ready to retire, one of her options was to just close the doors. And instead, Jack Stimfley and I went back to Bar Harbor, Maine, and we recruited Dr. George Carlson. Okay. And so he picked up the ball where Jack left off, and for years he was the director. So 
I'm so happy that I've been associated with so many productive things. So many mm -hmm. times you get involved in life and it, nothing happens. <laughs> but McLaughlin Research yeah. has been wonderful. Well, at the beginning of this interview, we talked about the uh, the 10th Street Bridge, your involvement oh, yeah. in that. And, uh, <laughs> I'm in I, love with the bridge. Yeah, you. I mean, it's it's... It's really a credit to to you, to the to the town of Great Falls. Uh, talk about Preservation Cascade and uh, well, Preservation Cascade was born because of the bridge. Mm -hmm. As I said, when I read that article and I wrote that letter, we attended a hearing, and the hearing was for the road alongside the bridge. Mm -hmm. And when we got there. The person in charge of the hearing from the highway department said, you can't talk about the bridge. This isn't about the bridge. This is about the road. And he says, in fact, look at this map. The bridge isn't even there. The highway department had removed it. Mm -hmm. It wasn't in the map. I says, look out the window. There it is. <laughs> he says, no. <laughs> For all intents and purposes, it's old. It's broken. It's gone. And what happened was at that hearing, a lot of people came, and once again, the Tribune helped mm -hmm. there. Uh, their editorial board supported our move. They said, if those people can save it, and they're willing to raise the money, and that's where that really introduced it to Judge Harry Pragerson, who's mm -hmm. on the Ninth Circuit Court. Yeah. He was our saving grace, he and his wife. He fell in love with the bridge. Wow. And so he said, when they made their decision, they said that, okay, let them save the bridge, but no local tax dollars. And everybody said, you're doomed. Where are you <laughs> going to get the money? Well, we raised it with, at, with grants mm -hmm. and with donations. We've actually spent more than $2 million. How we raised it, sometimes I look back, and at one point they wanted to blow me up with the bridge. When I say they, there were letters to the editor. I oh, have my. one. Okay. Just blow up the bridge with Riker on it. Oh, no. <laughs> Well, uh, I, I know that people uh, can can pay uh, to to remember a loved one or to remember someone's maybe it's their special birthday or an anniversary or something oh, like yeah. that, and that that helps pay. Oh yes, for, and it lights it up. At, at, we uh, light it nights. up for <laughs> occasions, and it's become very important. Mm -hmm. People have memorials there, and uh, sometimes they have memorials every year on the date of their sad. Party, but they also have happy occasions. Mm -hmm. There have been marriages, there have been anniversaries, there have been birthdays. And so we get a call, costs $100, but we've paid Northwestern Energy $95,000 since we started lighting it in 2007. Not just for lighting it, but we have a demand charge mm -hmm. because the lights are there, we've got to pay it. Yeah. Okay. So, Arlene, of everything you've done in, in your life, uh, what, what would you say is are you most proud of? Oh, well, family, of course. Yeah. Family's first. Yeah. Sometimes my kids doubt it. They said the bridge is part of our family. Well, they realize the bridge <laughs> is like a big brother or little brother, yeah. sister. Yeah. But family. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's also amazing. You're, you're 97 years old. You're still, you, you may have slowed down a little bit. but A you're, little bit. <laughs> you're not, you're certainly, you're still, you're still going strong. What, what, what's your secret to, to, a, to living I think people have asked me, and the key word, I think, is to be able to adapt. Because mm -hmm. God knows things happen. Bad things happen as well as good things happen. And if you can't adapt, that's it. Because you have no control. We have no control over what's going to happen. 
outside of our, well, we just don't have the control. And yeah. So we have to be able to adapt to whatever happens and keep on going, keep on moving. And I, I'm so happy that I'm still here. I, I'm yeah. amazed, kind of, but I'm happy. Yeah. And I look around, not just at my, my family, but all my friends and just the world. I'm just happy, but I just pray that conditions improve because I've never seen the world in such chaos and worries and things we never thought about before. Yeah. You know, it's, it's tough with our country and the world and people fighting. I mean, people who really like each other are fighting over politics, even within families. Mm -hmm. It's appalling. We shouldn't let that happen. Yeah. I mean, people are people. and we should. Everyone has a right to his or her own opinion. Yeah. Marlene, uh, I, I don't know. Would you consider running for office again? <laughs> That's a good question because after this Constitution Convention, we had a social dinner, yeah. and one of our research interns years ago, they were very young, but they're 50 years older now. One of the research interns said at the dinner when he had to speak, he says, I've got an idea, Reichert for governor, and everybody <laughs> cheered. <laughs> oh gosh, a little late for that. Yeah. It's late for anything like that. Well, you've still got some great knowledge to pass along to whoever may be running for governor or for some of those. And we thank you so much for everything you've done for, for not only for the Great Falls area, but for the entire state of Montana. Thank you so much. I've enjoyed doing you really brightened my day. Thank you, Tim. <laughs> All right. You've been listening to a conversation with Arlene Reichert, a 1972 Montana Constitutional Convention delegate and the driving force behind Preservation Cascade, which prevented the historic 10th Street Bridge from being demolished. In June of 2022, she was honored for those efforts by the Montana Historical Society with a Heritage Keepers Award. Special thanks also to the staff at the historic Ursuline Center in Great Falls for hosting the interview with Arlene and MTN reporter Brianna Juno for her assistance. I encourage you to subscribe to McGonagall's Chronicles wherever you get your podcasts and rate the program. And also follow the podcast on Facebook and Twitter. I'll be back soon with another interesting guest with a Montana connection. For McGonagall's Chronicles, making Montana connections, I'm Tim McGonagall.